0: Sunday's come around again, and we're excited to share this week's sermon with you. I'm Chad Bowen, and I'm the pastor at Moore Memorial United Methodist Church in the heart of downtown Winona. This week, we're continuing our sermon series on worship. Over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about how our practices of worship on Sunday mornings remind us of the deep truths of the gospel, of who we are as the people of God, and how God calls us and equips us to live and love by His grace through faith which is his gift to us. Last week we talked about time and how it's not the world's responsibility to tell the church what time it is, but the church's responsibility to tell the world what time it is. This week I'm excited to talk about how our practice of coming together each week for worship serves as a reminder of how the church is never quite settled in this world. We're always on the move. Just like the people of Israel were formed during their waiting, during their slavery in Egypt for 400 years, and during their 40 years of wandering through the wilderness, so the church is formed and it's waiting for the return of Christ, and it's journey to follow Him in the meantime. I pray that this message is a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us in person for worship on Sunday morning, we'd be thrilled to have you. We're worshiping at 9 at 11 in our Family Life Center. Until you're ready to join us, we pray that this ministry is a blessing to you and an opportunity for you to recognize God's work in your life. Our scripture readings come from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible and are used with permission. May God bless you richly this week, providing you with all you need to offer Him your praise and to serve His people. Amen. Let's pray. Eternal triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the gift of your word and the gift that it is to gather with your people to hear your word. We pray that as we gather, your spirit would be present with us, that your grace would be real to us, and that it would transform our lives so that we might love you and love our neighbor as you have called us to do. May this time be a time of worship, a time of encounter with you, a time where we experience your joy and your comfort, a time where we are built up by your spirit to be the people that you have called us to be. So that we may praise you with our lips and with our lives. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, he who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God both now and forever. Amen. Our first reading this morning comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1. And we will pick up in verse 22. Uh, Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. This is what uh, is said to the people of Israel as they prepare to enter into the promised land. It's it's the time when Moses is giving instructions to the people before he dies. And as he does so, he reminds them of what they have experienced as they have traveled together. This is what he says. All of you came to me and said, let us send men ahead of us to explore the promised land for us. And bring back a report to us regarding the route by which we should go up and the cities we will come to. The plan seemed good to me, and I selected twelve of you, one from each tribe. They set out and went up into the hill country, and when they reached the valley of Eshcol, they spied it out and gathered some of the land's produce, which they brought down to us. And they brought back a report to us and said, It is a good land that our Lord God is giving to us. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, it is because the Lord hates us that he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we headed? Our kindred have made our hearts melt by reporting the people are stronger and taller than we." The cities are large and fortified up to heaven. We actually saw the offspring of the Anakim. I said to you, have no dread or fear of them. The Lord your God who goes before you is the one who will fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes, and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord God carried you just as one carries a child all the way that you have traveled until you reached this place. But in spite of this, you have no trust in the Lord your God, who goes before you on the way to seek out a place for you to camp, in fire by night and in the cloud by day, to show you the route you should take. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 13. We'll read verses 12 through 17. Hear these words. Let us then go to him outside the camp, that is, Jesus, and bear the abuse he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we are looking for the city that is yet to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God." Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls and will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with sighing, for that would be harmful to you. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today as we continue our series through worship, we're talking about gathering, which is a strange thing for us to do, especially by radio and on the internet, where those of us who are engaging in these ways are not able to physically gather with us. But I hope that talking about the importance of gathering will instill in your souls a desire to be together, a longing to be together, so that when we can finally be together, it will be a point of great privilege and joy and grace for all to be together. To gather is not a neutral act. It is not vanilla or unimportant to get together in person embodied. To be together changes things. We're acutely aware of this in the midst of the pandemic, that to gather is to be vulnerable with one another. Before the pandemic, there were always concerns when large groups came together that that was a target for terrorism. But now we're more aware than ever of the ways that other people or we might have germs, and to be in the same space might be to risk becoming ill. Which means that if we're going to choose to get together, there must be some value in that. If gathering didn't shape things, we wouldn't have things like prayer vigils like we had 19 years ago after September 11th where we gathered together as people to be united in solidarity and to pray to the Lord together. If gathering didn't shape things, we wouldn't pay attention to protests or to um, marches or to sit-ins or other times when people get together because there's power in gathering. There's something about being together with a unified mission. There's something about solidarity that we know innately as humans across cultures. And there are all kinds of social cues that shape our gatherings. We ask questions like, when will we meet? And there's the set time, usually 9 or 11 or noon. And then there's the real time, sometimes earlier and sometimes later than what we've agreed upon. Sometimes you're supposed to be early. In the business world, they're inclined to say that early is on time and on time is late. For a wedding... If you show up at the appointed time, you're going to be tripping over the bride or her mother on the way into the church. One church that I served previously would set times for projects to work on, but if you showed up at the time they said, they would have already been working for an hour and rag on you when you finally showed up that you let them do all of the work. Sometimes you're supposed to be early, and other times you're supposed to be late. I didn't learn this until I was a sophomore going to the junior-senior prom with a junior who had asked me to go, and we showed up at the appointed time. We stood around looking at each other because no one else was there at the start time. It was pretty embarrassing. If gathering didn't matter, we wouldn't pay so much attention to the logistics, like when should we show up, or who will bring what we're going to eat, or how many people will be there, or where will they all sit. We wouldn't bother with all of those details if it wasn't important to get together. We wouldn't ask questions like, how will we occupy our time? We pay attention to it because getting together matters. It's how we're wired as humans. It's what's in some ways so compelling about college football more than the games themselves is the social occasion to have so many people united with one purpose in one place, ready to be together in solidarity, to enjoy the ups and to lament the downs, and to eat and celebrate and enjoy the company of one another. There's something about coming together that changes things. There's a power in solidarity because in community, we know who we are. Throughout our journey through First Peter, we talked about how Peter was writing to a church that he was trying desperately to remind that they are strangers in a familiar land. So if we, like the early church, are foreigners in our, home, in our own homes, where can we go to know that we belong? How can we gather with others who are like us? especially when we know that to do so is no neutral act. To gather is a profound thing, and it requires our attention. It's the first thing that we do in the course of worship. In the fourfold order of worship, we gather, we hear the word proclaimed to us, we respond with thanksgiving, and we are sent forth. The first step of worship is to gather. If gathering is the start of our worship, then that means that worship has begun long before we settle into our pews for the sermon. It began when you and I and all of the other people who work together to make worship happen began to plan and scheme for gathering as the people of God. More recently, we've asked some new questions about that. Where should we worship? What can we include in our worship safely? But other questions are much the same. How will we serve communion? What scripture passages are to be read? What songs should we play or sing together? Who will be in charge? And in your homes, you've asked similar questions as well. There's a new question, will we worship online in the name of safety or will we gather with the people of God in person? But there are other questions too. What time will I go to bed so that I can arise ready and eager to worship? What time will we wake up? What should we eat beforehand? What will we wear? What will we eat afterwards? If we're supposed to worship in every time and in every place, worship starts long before we walk through the doors of the building and it continues long afterwards. But how we gather matters. It's important to acknowledge that we're all human and we all have our shortcomings and stresses and God accepts us just as we are. Getting ready to gather at church can become just as stressful as getting ready for work or for school or for any other activity. Someone in the house is running late. Someone in the house can't find their clothes. The clothes that you thought were clean are still in the washer and there's no way they'll be dry in time to get to church. There are all kinds of logistics that stress us out and ways that our relationships themselves get strained as we prepare to come to church. But if we're only concerned with the logistics, or maybe even worse, if we're only concerned about what the people at church will think of us when we arrive, and not with our spirit towards God and towards one another, then our act of gathering will be diminished. If we're rude and unkind to our families before we show up at church, where we put on our happy face and show everyone that we're the perfect family, we're putting on a show not offering ourselves to the Lord. So I wonder how your worship might look different if you were tr- if you treated your whole morning or even your whole week as a preparation for gathering with God's people, gathering with God himself. And when we gather, we've got to agree about who's in charge. And we've got to give thought to how we begin. Here at More Memorial, we usually begin with announcements before worship. Not at the first of worship, but before worship. We share news with the congregation. We do our ordinary business that must be done so that we can then direct our attention to the Lord and the Lord alone. We want everybody together. We want everybody to be on the same page about what's happening in the church. But worship isn't about us and what we do. It's not about our calendars or our logistics. Worship is about God. And then, after we've given announcements, we direct our attention directly to God. We have a prelude where some sit still and hope and pray that their hearts would be stilled so that they can turn their attention towards God and away from all of the things of the world that might distract them. But others of us are on the move. Most of the time, we begin worship with a processional. The cross comes in, and then the acolytes with their uh, candlelighters, their torches, and the pastor after them. We begin on the move because we, the church, are a people always on the move. We're a people on the move because we, the church, live in the time between the times the time between when Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead and ascended into heaven for the salvation of the whole world and the time where he will come back to inaugurate his reign once and for all. We stay on the move because the work of the Lord, which is the work of the church, is not finished yet. We have not yet arrived. So we process in to remind us that part of our identity is as a pilgrim people, That worship doesn't start when we arrive, but that it starts long before and it doesn't stop when we leave, but continues long after, because we are a people on the move. And when we gather for worship, we are gathering for a brief respite along the way before we continue on the journey a respite where we remember the stories of the faithfulness of God and we acknowledge how we are following God and we look forward to our hope which is sure and certain in Him. That's why we read from Deuteronomy and from Hebrews this morning. In Deuteronomy, we see that Moses is recounting to the people the way that God has been deeply faithful to them and the way that they have failed to trust God over and over and over again. There are entire psalms outlining the story of the Israelites, how they went into the wilderness under the power of God. They were delivered through the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army was destroyed. And as soon as they got through, they begin to complain and ask Moses, why Moses brought them into the wilderness to die? Were there not enough graves in Egypt, they ask? There's not enough food. So God provides quail and manna. There's not clean water or enough water, so God provides it out of a rock or makes it drinkable immediately for them. They meet enemies along the way that they conquer by the power of God and still they wander away. And they find themselves in fear of the people that God has told them to conquer because they don't trust the Lord despite all that he's done for them. God has prepared the way for them. He has gone ahead of them. And each day... Every day that they have traveled, there has been a pillar of, cl- of clouds over them that they can follow as they go where they're supposed to be, and there's been a pillow- pillar of fire at night that they can follow. Even at the night, they know each step that they are to take. He's delivered them from Pharaoh and from his power despite their weakness. He's fed them and given them water and provided for their journey in every way possible And still they falter and sin and build idols and do all the things God has asked them not to do even before they enter into the promised land. So it's no surprise that when they get to the edge of the promised land and they send scouts ahead and the scouts come back and say, the land is good, the fruit is delicious, what a wonderful land God is giving us, the people say, well, the Amorites are too tall. And they're much stronger than we are. And we've got tents and they've got big cities and their fortifications are built all the way up to the heavens. We don't have a chance against them. So Israel gets afraid. And they decide that they can't win. And they continue journeying in the wilderness. They take a journey that should have been a few months and it lasts 40 years. And most of them, except for a couple of them, die before they make it into the promised land. They think the journey and the work is going to be just too hard. If we've learned nothing else from 2020, it's that this journey that we're walking is hard too and that we are not yet in the promised land. We might stand on Jordan's banks and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where our possessions lie, but we're not there yet. And so, we have to keep moving. We have to keep moving forward on the journey, trusting that God is going to bring us finally into the land that he has promised us. So, in ordinary times, week after week, we start worship with a processional. We start as people on the move, following the cross, and following the light of the Holy Spirit that signifies for us God's direction. And we travel all the way to the Word of God so that we can remember who we are. We can remember where we are going and that we are not there yet. We can remember who it is that shows us the way that we are following after Jesus, and that God is lighting the pathway for us by the word of God, which is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. And the story of Israel continues a long way through the promised land. There's all kinds of stuff about how they do conquer the people that God promised them they would conquer. They live in the land for a period of time. They eventually have kings, Saul and David, and a lot after them. The kingdom split between the ten tribes and the two. They get taken away into exile. They come back. But the most important part of Israel's story is the first five books, the Pentateuch. And the Pentateuch ends just before Israel enters into the promised land. The Pentateuch ends with the story yet unfinished. The same is true for all of the Old Testament. The whole thing ends with waiting for the Messiah, the son of David who will come to rule for all ages in justice and peace and bring all nations to the Lord. At each step in the scriptural journey, the stopping point is at a place that is not quite done. So we have to remember that on this side of glory we are always a pilgrim people. We are always people on the move. So we process in, remembering that worship does not start start when we sit down and and make ourselves comfortable, but it starts long before we arrive as all of us come together to become the body of Christ. And once we process in, we greet one another. Sometimes formally with prepared words, sometimes less formally, as we talked about a week or two ago, with saying something like, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. But whenever we greet one another, we do three things. We remember that God is here with us, We pay attention to how good it is to be together with everyone who is gathered. And we remember that there are some that are not here. Because they are sick. Because they are traveling. Because they are staying safe from a virus right now. We remember who we are in God's presence. And we pay attention to the church around us. And we remember that there are some that are missing, and we grieve their absence. And as we greet, we ask a couple of things. One, what should be our first words to one another? We have all kinds of settings where who speaks first and what is said is of deep importance. In the courtroom opening statements, in uh, formal dinners, the one who stands up and offers the first words is the host. And the host is in charge of how things will proceed from there. Who should speak and what should be our first words? And they should always orient us towards God and remind us of the gift that it is to be together and point us to the recognition that there are some who aren't here with us. And after we have gathered and greeted one another, we are ready to join together in the joyous praise of God our Father, of His Son Jesus Christ, and of the Holy Spirit our Advocate. When we are together, we remember who we are. That we are a people on the move. That as Hebrews says, that we, we have no lasting city here. As uh, one country music singer says it this is our temporary home. As other hymns say it, we have no abiding city here. But we gather together to take a short rest and to remember our mission and to remember that we are leaning forward towards our destination of the land that is promised to us, the inheritance that is promised to us. For we are no less than children of God. And we pray, even as we are in enemy territory, as we are strangers in a familiar land, we pray that God's will will be done here, even as it is in heaven. Heaven, the place where his dominion has always been recognized and celebrated, his dominion over all things. We seek to learn what is just and good, so that we can learn in the present what it will be like to live in that heavenly city someday soon. And we remember that we are people continuing on the move, on the journey following after Christ and the light and the cloud that God is sending before us as he prepares every step of the way. We gather in solidarity to praise the one who has made us, the one who is redeeming us, and the one that will bring us all the way through to the finish line. It might be a short respite in an otherwise long and arduous journey, But in this respite, we remember that our wanderings, though they may seem aimless to others and like we are taking the the least direct route possible, they are not aimless for us because we are traveling with the Lord of the universe. We are following the Lord, our creator. And he will bring us into freedom. He will bring us into peace. He will bring us into holiness at last. Others may think that we are wandering aimlessly, and we ourselves may be weary, but God is preparing the way, and God is leading us home, and the God who has been faithful to us over and over and over again will not let us down now. So let us continue as a people on the move. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you have blazed a trail for us. You have become the new and living way that we can enter into the holy tent, the holy temple of the Lord and know his presence, his power, his disposition of care and love and goodness and compassion towards us so that we can receive his comfort and his tender care so that he can bind up our wounds and wipe away our tears and strengthen us for the journey. We pray, Lord, that you would remind us that we are people on the move, that we have not yet arrived at the place where we are going, and that means that the journey may continue to be difficult, But that you will equip us to continue to commit to gathering together as your people, where we remember who we are, where we remember your kindness towards us, and we continue on the journey together with the power of a community led by none less than the Lord himself. As we gather in your name, bless us as your people. This we pray in Christ, our Lord. Amen.